0: Now, I want to start it because our hero, Joseph, is going to have a really unexpected family reunion today. You remember where we were last week? uh, His family life had not gone all that well, and he's going to have a really unexpected family reunion here. Now, um, do you like watching uh, the—I do, although I I can hardly stand it sometimes—do you like watching the videos that they show— of military people who surprise their kids in school, or their wife at work, or their husband at work, or you think, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Um, it's just it just grabs your heart. These are deployed military people who somehow get moved back, or or they're coming home on furlough, and they surprise their family. Um, I had something not quite so dramatic take place. Uh, back in probably 1998. A couple of you looked up and said, you can remember back that far? Yeah, a couple of things. Because this was pretty vivid. So um, our daughter had graduated from high school over here at Santa Fe, and she was at Anderson University and um, had been there for a month or six weeks. And uh, I remember, uh, you know, songs kind of make me crazy. And I remember... um, I remember we took her to the grocery store on a Friday night, and uh, the president of the university said, go home tomorrow, don't come back and see him, we got him. But I remember we went to the grocery store late that night after this big assembly, and we bought her a car full of groceries and that kind of stuff, and she drove off from that uh, parking lot uh, back to her dormitory, and Rhonda and I did leave the next morning, and headed back, and I cried all the way to St. Louis. And um, right in the middle of all that, you know, right in the middle of all that, Natalie Cole comes on the radio singing, I miss you like crazy, and here I went boo-hooing again. (laughs) Then, about five or six weeks later, I was, it's on a Friday morning, I think, I was back in my car out of the garage to go to an early meeting of some kind, and I, I did one of these. What? Her car was in the driveway. She and uh, a couple of the Anderson kids, a couple of the kid, other kids from Crossings, they were at Anderson. Said, let's let's take a long, let's skip classes on Friday, take a long weekend off, go home. And they had driven all night. She got in at two or three o'clock in the morning. Was it? So I, I, I literally parked my car, went in, peeked into her room, and there she was. And I can't tell you what a marvelous surprise that was. An unexpected family reunion. This one that we're going to talk about today was 22 years in coming, if, I, if I'm doing the chronology right. And the last time these 11 people had been together, it really wasn't going all that well. Okay? Now, let let me give you a little bit of background. Okay? Um, When the Egyptians began to feel the effects of the predicted famine, so we're going to look at a couple of places um, here in just a minute, but um, um, actually, Steve, if I can get you to, I'm going to have you read a couple of verses, and then I'll have you read our lesson in a minute. So, Cue up 4157 in just a second. Uh, The Egyptians began to feel the effect of the predicted famine. So for seven years, things were great. And Joseph led the nation under the uh, uh, auspices of Pharaoh to just gather all the grain they could. And they built granaries and they filled them and they built more and filled them. And then the famine hit. So people still in the region still had money to buy grain, and when they would come, Pharaoh would send them to Joseph, and he'd sell them grain. And this was going on for those years of famine. The famine didn't just affect Egypt. It affected kind of the known world, but certainly that region of the world, including uh, Canaan, which is where kind of the... uh, Israelite family, the family of faith. By the way, when I say Israelite, I'm talking about Jacob and his 12 kids, 13 kids, really, um, because his name was changed to Israel. So when you think about Israel, this is where it all starts. Uh, about here, there were 75 of them, or something like that, with all the kids and grandkids and you know all that. So uh, Jacob gets his. He tells his kids, um, his sons. Go over to Egypt. I hear they got grain. Take some money and buy us some food. We're going to starve here. Uh, Steve, read forty-one fifty-seven.
1: And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph
0: because the famine was severe in all the world. Okay, it was all the world, all there, the known world, including Israel. So um, now, I think. Okay, this is gonna be kind of after the story. So we'll see this next week and we'll be in 43 and 45 next week. So we'll see this a little bit next week, but Steve, jump over and read 45.6. This gives us a chronology, I think. Joseph is later gonna give them this detail, give us this detail.
1: For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And
0: for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. Okay, so if I read that, there have been seven years, and now there's been two, two years of famine. Did you catch that? We don't catch that till later. So it's it's nine years since Joseph has been appointed as the prime minister of Egypt. There have been seven fat years. You remember those sleek cows? All right? And now there have been two years of famine. We're in the in somewhere in the third year or so, or in the second year of that. Now, so Jacob sends the sons to Egypt to buy food, but he only sends 10 of them. Why? Okay, Joseph, they think is no more. We know better. There's 11 of them still at home. Benjamin is Joseph's full brother, the... Um, the son of the beloved Rachel, who died actually in childbirth with him. And you got to figure that one of the things Jacob is saying, um, I am not sending now my next favorite son, probably who had become uh, somewhat uh, the second favorite, Benjamin, So 10 brothers traveled, and that'll factor in our story in a little bit. So they traveled to Egypt to buy food with Adam. Now let's pick up the story right there. We're in chapter 42. Steve, if I can get you to read, um, uh, let's read at least down, uh, let's begin at verse 6, read at least down through 12. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who saw the grain to all his people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, But he pretended to be a stranger, spoke partially to them. Where do you come from, he asked them. From the
1: land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. And he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest
0: men, not spies. No, he said, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. Okay, we're gonna park it right there for a minute because there's a lot of details. Steve, I'm gonna have you come back to there in just a minute. But okay, so look at 379. Does it sound familiar? Does what's happening here in 426 sound familiar? Uh, the brothers show up in Joseph's. Uh, I don't know if he's got some kind of an anteroom, or if he's in some huge granary, or if he's some in some palace. I don't know. But uh, when they appear before him to, to beg grain or to buy grain, what's their the first thing they do? They bow, and it's not just like you know. You know you you look at uh, old uh, movies that depict. Uh, uh, Old England, and they, you know, "Uh you know, it's not that. It's it's not a curtsy. They're on their face. Catch that? Now, look at 37.9. Have we heard about this before? This is part of what got him in trouble, is he saw clearly through prophetic eyes this moment. Now, the only issue here is there's not eleven bowing, bowing down to him for the reason that we've already talked about. Benjamin is not there, but Benjamin will be there later, and it will take place. Okay, so we've got that going on. Now, in verse as, as Steve read verse seven and eight, I hope you caught this: that Joseph recognizes his brothers, but it's not they don't recognize him, and uh, so he uses uh, he's gonna. Going to use some interrogation tactics here. But imagine the look on Joseph's face. This, this face. This is going to be uh, a, a thousand times uh, different than my reaction when I saw Heather's little red 95 Honda sitting in our driveway. Now, I want you for a minute to think about what his face looked right here. He he sees these guys that are seedy, and obviously uh, uh, they are um, shepherds. They're, they're, uh, you know, outside people. Um, They're hairy. That's not an Egyptian look. Okay? And they look kind of, and then he starts counting them. Can you imagine the look on his face? This could be my family. And he hears one of them talk, and he says, this is my family. Now, why don't they recognize him? He, I, we heard that song yesterday. The Bengals sang, he uh, walked like an Egyptian. He walked like an Egyptian. He uh, cut his hair off like an Egyptian. He dressed like an Egyptian. He had Pharaoh's signet ring. You remember that story? He gave that to him. This guy was fully Egyptian looking. Um, okay, so most of us in here are old enough. I think even those of you who are not old enough to remember this from way back there have probably seen this at some point in your life. Okay, so here's the deal. Catch this. He looked more like Yul Brynner than he did like Charlton Heston. Okay, does that help? All right, okay. You remember Yul Brynner? Bald as a cue ball? okay. And, you know, um, kind of smooth looking and Charlton Heston was all hairy. Okay, so, yeah, he looked a lot more like the bald guy than he did the guy with the full beard. That Egyptians didn't do that. If he had a beard, it was trimmed, uh, you know, so, okay. Um, so they didn't recognize him, but he recognized them. Look at, just for a minute, look at forty one forty six. If your Bible's like mine, you can just kind of look up the page. Joseph was 31, uh, was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. We looked at that last week. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through the land of Egypt. Okay, so let's do the math. It had been 17 years. Oh, I'm sorry. He was 17 when he was sold into slavery. And now he's 30. That's 13 years. I'm, doing, I'm, I'm not great with arithmetic, but I'm this good. Okay, so you engineers in the room, keep get me, get me straight on this, all right? 13 years there. Seven years of plenty. at uh, 20. And two years of famine. So 20 to 22 years since he's seen these cats. All right? And now they stand before him. I can't imagine the gr- the grief and excitement and all those things tied up in that moment. Can't imagine. Now, So, he begins to use interrogation here to deal with his brother. Now, it's interesting in verse 9, it says he, in my Bible at least, it says he speaks harshly to them in uh, verse 9. How does your Bible say that? Somebody see that? Uh, Harshly? Okay. Um, Okay. I think the NIV uses that speak harshly. Not all of them use that. But but the idea, why did he do that? Now, I think that's in verse eight. Uh, Well, it's somewhere in there. Anyway, um, so um, why did he speak harshly and interrogate them harshly? Now, some will write, this is revenge. Remember the last time we saw him? By the way, ben, uh, Benjamin wasn't with the men either, I don't think. Last time he saw them, they beat him up, threw him in a pit. Or maybe he caught uh, sight of them as he was being carted off by a band of Ishmaelites in slavery. Isn't he? Mm. That's a good insight. Sometimes we will feign anger to mask sadness or emotion. Hadn't really thought about that. Could be. There are some who believe, and I've read quite a bit about this. There are some who believe that um, he begins to interrogate them. And a lot of the tests he puts them through in the next couple of chapters are to prove their character. That's what goes in the blank. So, so, but but I don't, I'm not opposed at all to, to your thought because those, those two things could go right in line. Okay? He hasn't seen them in this long. What are these guys like now? And so he begins, He speaks to them harshly. Cindy, it could be at least somewhat to, to, um, uh, to kind of manage his emotion here. I don't think it was revenge. In context, I don't think it was revenge. Um, His concealed identity um, would help him get to the truth in the moment. And that's what he really wanted. How have these guys turned out? Because they were scoundrels the last time he saw them 22 years ago. All of them. Okay, so he begins to question them and his questions put them on the defense so, um, I, I, I wonder, and, and I read a little bit about this this week, I wonder if one of the things that's going through his mind is, I wonder if these guys have treated Benjamin the way they treated me. Wondered that. I wondered that. That's good, Laura. You know, I really hadn't thought about it until this week. I, it makes you wonder if he thought, okay, my little brother is 22 plus, so he's a young adult. Did they treat him the way they treated me when I was 17? because he's probably obviously now the favorite of daddy. But he didn't go around telling that day we down again. Well, at least we don't see that and certainly if he had he would have been kind of stupid wouldn't he? But but um uh yeah, no no dreams that we know of there. But um he um he now so if you watch cop shows or if you watch military shows or like CIA shows, you notice they always they always um, interrogate the suspects separately to see if there's any you know corroboration. Um, he doesn't really need to do this because he doesn't really need a whole lot of detail. He knows everything except for a couple of things. He knows all all the story. Okay. Um, but but he accuses me of being spies i think that that that's kind of interesting so in verse 11 they make a claim what's wrong with the claim in verse 11 he accuses them of being spies they're to kind of scope out the land uh in 42 uh, 40, uh, to, um 9 and 10, and at 11, they say, we are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. That's 180 degrees wrong. How do I know that? He knows that, by the way. Let's go to, I think, let's go to 37, okay? Somebody out loud read 31 down through 34. It's just a little paragraph. Are these guys honest guys? At least were they honest guys? no. So 37, 30. Uh, Laurie, do you mind to read, start at 31 from 37 and read down to 34.
2: Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in it, its blood. They sent the beautiful rope to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this rope belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's rope. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time.
0: Were they? Are these honest guys? They weren't. They weren't in 37. They lied like crazy to their dad. You know? None of that was the truth. So he knew they weren't honest, so their claim to be honest. He's still going to test here. Um, um, you know, I, I, in my own um, sanctified imagination, I hear Joseph when they say, "We are honest men," I could hear him saying in Egyptian, "Come on." You know? Come on, man. Yeah, come on, man. That, that probably didn't happen. I love, "Come on, man, by the way. Uh, okay, so look at the next verse. Verse 12. We know that we've got enough of this kind of watching, uh, you know, uh, cop shows and that kind of thing that I mentioned a while ago. People under stress often disclose unguarded information. So Joseph keeps kind of accusing them and interrogating them. Why? Because he can. He can do anything he wants to do. And they know where Jimmy Hoffa is buried. They do, okay? That's really crude, but you get it, don't you? Are they gonna say anything about what they did to me? Because they don't know I'm me. The best he's gonna get is they're gonna admit that one of our brothers is no more. Okay, now, so... But he knows that under stress, people sometimes disclose things in kind of an unguarded way. They kind of tell things that they wouldn't normally tell. So so he keeps pushing them. And then in verse 13 and 14, just look at it. Notice the detail that's confirmed. Now, Steve, pick it up there. Um, Read 13 down through 17.
1: But they replied, your sons were 12 brothers, the sons of one man, who lives in the land of Canaan." The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Joseph said to them, It is just as I told you, you are spies. And this is how you will be tested. Surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother, and, tell him, and the rest of you will be kept in prison, so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all
0: in custody for three days. Okay, so verse 13 and 14. He finds out that which he most wants to know. What is it? Benjamin's alive. Dad's alive. I think, I think he's more concerned about Benjamin probably than dad. And he's probably a little bit, wow, dad's still living? You know? You remember when Joseph was went missing, supposed dead. Jacob said, "I'm I'm I'm gonna die." Uh, you know he was he was kind of that kind of guy. But um, uh, he'll say this two or three times in the story of Jacob. He'll say, uh, "You know, beam me up, Scotty. I'm I'm dying now." Uh, you know, it, it's it's Fred Sanford saying, "Elizabeth, I'm coming to join you, honey." Um, two or three times in that story. You remember that deal, okay? So. I think think Joseph is intrigued and surprised that dad's alive, but he really wants to know that little brother, his full little brother, Benjamin, is alive. And so that's confirmed here. But his agenda in verse 15 and 16 was not what the brothers thought it would be. It seemed to them that he was giving them a chance to kind of prove that that they are Hebrews, that they are Israelites. He knew that. Um, he didn't really need that. So his agenda is different from theirs. And he gives them here in verse 17 kind of a three day timeout. Why do you, why do you think? He puts, puts them on ice for three days. John? I believe if Joseph had not kept his character, he would never have found out. Well, he, he stayed in character that whole time, didn't he? Yeah, not knowing who he was. He's still pushing. He wants to know the truth. He wants to know about Dad and Benjamin. He wants to know, have these guys really changed? Are they remorseful for what they did to me 22 years ago? I think. And you're right, John. They would not have, he would not have gotten to the bottom of that if he had right from the beginning said, hey, I'm your little brother. Okay, so... Um, so, let's go on now in the story. It may be uh, that he put them in prison to emphasize his power. He's got it. It may be that he put them in prison to let them think a little bit about how are we going to get Benjamin back here? Make him sweat. Okay, let's go to 18. Somebody read, mind read 18 down through 25. Cindy, you mind read that? On the third day,
2: Joseph Let one of your brothers stay here in prison, while the rest of you go and take grain back from your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified, and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. But we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then turned back and spoke to them again. He's had Simeon. That
0: that right? Yep, okay, Simeon. Simeon.
2: Taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders. Their bags with grain,
0: and to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. After this was done for them. Okay, now we'll stop there this week and pick it up in forty-three, and then we'll jump over to forty-five next week. But, but so Joseph offers the rationale for this decision. Okay, that he makes after these three days. Um, he 's going to tell them what 's getting ready to take place, and he offers here um, he offers here kind of his rationale for the decision. I find this really intriguing. Now what you 've got to catch here, he 's going to say, "Do this and you 'll live." And his rationale for that is very interesting. Now remember they 've got Yule Brenner standing before them, not Charlton Heston. <laughs> This is an Egyptian. He's speaking Egyptian. He's, being, he's using a translator to communicate with them. And he says, catch this, I fear God. What? This guy, this magistrate, Pharaoh's right-hand man, fears Yahweh? Do you really
1: think
0: they're thinking that, though? They're I, probably thinking about 500 They're things. probably thinking about small g God. You're right, Joe. But he expresses it in such a way that I think he's hinting that your God is my God. And he's the only, remember, he's the only God, which is unique to the Israelites, and certainly not, not the Egyptians. And so he reverses a bit here. He changes, uh, he reverses his original plan. You remember he was gonna a- have nine of them stay in jail and one of them go get Benjamin. Now he reverses that, okay? One of you stay and nine of you go get your little brother. And uh, he keeps, this is interesting, he keeps Simeon, who's number two in birth order. I don't really know why uh, he does that, but he. he it, it's not... The oldest one, Reuben, he sends them back with the other eight. But only one brother would be required to stay. And he says, and take some grain with you. I don't want you to starve on the way. I don't want you to help your dad when you get back. Okay? All right. So, then in 20, he he says, but remember, if you don't bring your little brother back, it's not going to go well for you. He basically says, "You must, or you die." He's still speaking, Joe, as Joseph, the prime minister here, and he can do that. He can he could order him to be to be put to death right then. So, in verse twenty-two, he hears a part of the story he's never heard before. Now, this is interesting to me. He hears a part of the story he, he's never heard before, and it's uh, go with me over to thirty-seven. We we've got enough time to go here, I think. Thirty-seven, twenty-one. when they're kind of deciding what to do, they want to kill him and they're trying to decide what to do. Um, in verse 21, but Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let's not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit that's in the wilderness, but don't lay hands on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him. So uh, the oldest, Reuben, this is the first time he's ever heard that the guys wanted to kill him. And the oldest brother said, no, we can't do that. Don't shed his blood. Now, his plan was not a good plan. He would throw him into a pit. But at least he kind of hears this uh, detail that he didn't know. He learns more of the story. And in verse 23, he tells them some of the, or, or he kind of indicates some of the story that I'm, I'm sure they're wondering how he knows. They did not know, however, that Joseph understood. How did he hear them talking among themselves? How did he understand He was using an interpreter, but he still spoke Hebrew. My guess is, okay, I've got, I've got friends at work who um, are of Mexican descent, and they speak both languages at home. Don't you know that Joseph taught little forgetful and fruitful, you know, Ephraim and Manasseh? He taught them how to speak his tongue, Hebrew, as well as uh, whatever uh, Egyptian dialect that they spoke. So he's listening to all of this going on and he understands it, although they don't know that he catches all this detail because they're speaking in Hebrew and they don't know that he is a Hebrew. But in verse 24, he's not at all prepared for what he heard. He um, says, okay, we're gonna keep Simeon here in jail. The rest of you go back. And he just can't stand it anymore. I, I don't know, Cindy. I actually kind of wondered if he had kept Reuben. After hearing that, would he have been tempted to go to Reuben's jail cell and say, "Okay, little, okay, big brother, tell me what's going on." I, you know what? I, I wonder. I wonder, uh, and and certainly he had some mercy on Reuben. And he knew Reuben was leading here in a lot of ways. So was Judah. So this week um, I helped bury my uncle and uh, this was, this guy was two years younger than my dad and they were really, really close. They asked me to tell the family story, tell history about the family and so I was happy to do that and I'm kind of all ready to go. I'd written my manuscript and had it in my uh, in my hand there, kind of stuck in a folder, and getting ready to go up and and speak, and and um. They put me right after a video. Now it, you got you know these days you got to do a video at every funeral. I, I, it's wonderful, but I had to watch this and then speak. And I saw. Of course you guys who know me well enough, to know my dad's name was Buzz in the industry, Buzz and Ski. Skip was in this class. Right? You know, somebody named all of them funny names. And as part of the video, I saw lots of, you know, pictures of them as kids. That didn't affect me a whole lot. I'd seen those before. But they showed pictures of the company and work and my dad, Buzz, when he was big and strong. And it just wrecked me. And they, there was a song, superimposed over that we listened to on the way up here today, and I still can't sing it. Uh, I listened to it Friday morning uh, on the way to an appointment and blubbered all the way to work. Seeing him surprised me. And eventually, I just couldn't hold it together, you know? That's what's going on in 24. He hadn't seen these kids, in, these guys in 22 years. And despite the pain, and there was a lot of it, he just can't stand it anymore. So in verse 25, he sends them back with grain at no charge. And he blesses them. And I think he puts the fear of God in them. I think. So Joseph's life was all kind of set. He had it all going on. He had a, had a wife, had a lot of authority, a lot of, lot of power. He had two little boys that he dearly loved. And he was all set. And then this happens. Joseph's tears, I think, were proof that there was no selfishness there, no vindictiveness there. And we're going to see how it gets, it kind of all plays out in the last episode of this next week. His tears are proof of his lack of selfishness, his lack of vindictiveness for all time. And I began to think about it a little bit. If it had not gone this way, how could this have turned out? How could it have turned out? But I'm so glad it turned out this way. I'll meet you in chapter 43 and 45 next week, okay? Have a great week. Stay safe. See you soon. Happy Sunday.